Welcome to Dose of Support, a podcast for healthcare professionals to preserve stories and provide a dose of support to each other through community and shared experiences. We're going to share successful and sometimes not successful self-care methods. And I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner and a professional just like you. Remember, I'm hosting this podcast, but I'm not your healthcare provider, and my guests aren't here to provide healthcare advice either. But we do encourage you to seek out care from your own healthcare professional. And although we're sharing stories from healthcare, I intend to fully adhere to HIPAA and protect privacy. And remember, this podcast is not related to any employer. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned, everyone. Well, hey there, listener. Welcome back to Dose of Support. And this is our weekly check-in where you and I just check in. And I'm going to call it the punching in. I don't know. I got to call it something. This week, I want to talk about the sweltering heat. A lot of listeners know that I record in my closet in a house in Minneapolis, Minnesota, because I'm a one-woman show. It's not like I have a whole production team in a sound booth or anything like that. But let me tell you, this past weekend was 96 degrees and the humidity was like 80% and it was just stupid. And I think that there's a lot of misconceptions around the country that it's cold in the north. But no, we just have all four seasons. So we get like all four seasons and the extremes of all of those four seasons. So I just got to put that out there and complain about it a little bit. And then I have a huge announcement. So about once a month, Dose of Support is going to release something called the weekend retreat. And that is going to be a bonus episode where my friend Lisa and I just recap the last four episodes, talk about our favorite highlights and the best self-care methods that we've heard about. It's also a way for us to connect moving forward, what's coming for the show and how we can come together as a community. So this is bonus content. It's just like an extra episode and it's going to release every four episodes on the weekend. And it's just going to be a short little sweet weekend retreat together. So I hope you tune in for that. I'm really like extra super all the exclamation points excited for this week's episode with the seated nurse. And I hope you guys can celebrate the 30 year anniversary, a huge milestone of the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is coming up this week. So I hope you enjoy this episode and learn a lot. Please reach out to me. I can't wait to hear from you and enjoy listening. Thank you. Today we have a registered nurse who holds her Bachelor's of Science in Nursing degree. She's a survivor of transverse myelitis. She's known as the seated nurse on Instagram or the nurse on wheels, and she uses her story to advocate for people with all abilities. She's also the former Miss Wheelchair New York, a model and a little bit of an actress. Here to help us embrace differences in healthcare is Nurse Andrea Dalzell. Welcome Andrea to the show. And so I, I, I kind of alluded to this before we started recording, but I am pretty nervous to interview you because I think you're kind of a big deal. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> Don't be nervous. <laughs> um, so everyone should look up the seated nurse on Instagram because she's just so inspiring. But Andrea, you're so you are a, a registered nurse. What area of nursing do you work in? So, so far, I have worked in many different facets. 
I have done uh, camp nursing director, health director. I've done case management. I've done school nursing. And most recently, I have been a COVID crisis nurse in New York City. Wow. That, that's, that is a really diverse array of experience. And you've been a nurse for like uh, three years? Two and I think a half I, years. Yeah. yeah. I, okay. And so that's a lot that you've gotten to experience and it's, it's really good experience. But what I'm wondering is what got you interested in healthcare in the first place? Okay, well, I am a lifelong patient, right? Like you mentioned in the intro, I have transverse myelitis. I was diagnosed at the age of five, and I completely stopped walking at the age of 12. So that made me a lifelong patient, right? Uh, I have seen doctors, been around doctors and nurses pretty much my whole youth and my young adult life. So um, I didn't always want to be in healthcare. I attest to that. I said that I was going to be a lawyer and I was going to sue the doctors that put me through all the pain, hoax, prods, and all the indecent movements that they made me have. <laughs> I was just, I was, I was coming back to, to sue them for it. I was like, you put me in this pain. I, I, I'm owed something. And uh, when I was graduating from high school, my doctor who had done majority of my surgeries, um, wrote in my memoir book, anything but a lawyer, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I see you've had like over 30 surgeries. So yes. you've certainly, <laughs> you've certainly been through so much other, other than, you know, losing your ability to walk. You've also just like been through it, it seems like. Um, and so <laughs> You were like, okay, I won't be an attorney. Fine. Like, calm right. down. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, well, what's the next next best thing to do? Okay, well, I'll be the doctor because then I'll make sure that I'm not inflicting pain on anyone, right? I'm going to be the, the solver of pain. Aww. And I don't know why that was like a thing for me. I was just like, I don't want people to go through having to experience the amount of pain that I had experience so therefore I'm going to go and be this doctor that's going to find the cure to pain I don't think that that's a thing but if it is <laughs> hey let me know about it uh and I started I went to college I studied biology I studied neuros neuroscience and I also studied uh nursing but before I even got to nursing I was on this track to go into medical school right I wanted yeah. to be the doctor and in auditing classes, I realized that doctors really treat the disease process. Yes. Uh, they're not yes. treated holistically to the person. Yeah. And exactly. I can like really clearly remember telling my doctors things that I wouldn't do because it would hinder the way I lived my life. <laughs> and I was like, I can't have someone telling me what to do and me not listening and then expecting you know the outcomes that they want so the only way to kind of flip that over on his head is to have a very holistic approach to treatment and care do you have an example like now I'm curious like do you have an example of something that that you were so, like no yeah I was supposed to have another surgery on my right leg I have cadaver bone from a shattered femur so my cadaver bones actually hold in place my my femur and my knee. Wow. <laughs> and uh, he was like, well, we can 
readjust the pins because of how I wanted to be able to transfer and move around between my chair and being out of my chair. And I decided against the surgery altogether because it was going to lay me up for about four to five months. Wow. Wow. That's like, yeah. And you're so young. I mean, like, that's just a huge part of your life when you're supposed to be living your life. I mean, we, you know, I say we, like the disability community is so used to like these setbacks of having like live life. And then, you know, you get sick in your bed, you're in bed or you get a wound and something happens. But when you're young and you really just want to be with your friends, you're not putting your health above your your social life. Okay. <laughs> right? And sometimes you pay for that. But I didn't pay for that in this instance. It really was just a, can you make my life just a little bit easier? But I don't want it to be easier to the point where I'm four months laid up in bed. So let's not. <laughs> so you advocated for yourself. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I... I, I'm under the impression that you you were when you completely became wheelchair bound, you were older, right? So you still remember walking, jumping, skipping, hopping and and all the movements that you did before. And I'm I'm wondering I guess how you how you reflect on that and how you've transitioned to your mobility now. So, yes, uh, I am a wheelchair user now, but I think what really transforms someone's mind who gets a new diagnosis or progressively transitions to a new way of mobility, it really comes down first to like acceptance, right? Like, yeah, people who are newly diagnosed has an or have a new prognosis, you know, that's a hard hard pill to swallow and that's just because I really think it has to do with representation I was young but when I completely stopped walking I was heading into my teenage years and I took it hard I rebelled I didn't want to be labeled as disabled quote-unquote I didn't want to be labeled as someone that was seen as special needs or special ed especially in a high school setting yeah Uh, so at that and at that point and even to the day I still have moments of of forgetfulness where like in the middle of the night if I have to use the bathroom I'm pulling the covers off and you know my legs are going to the floor and I'm almost standing up forgetting that I'm gonna hit the floor wow (laughs) you know like I need to transfer to a wheelchair not stand up and walk but that's just because subconsciously my body's still in that mindset of walking running skipping jumping right it still has that want and need so and because I know what it was to do that as a child that muscle memory doesn't go away that's an amazing description. I I wasn't I I didn't think you would say that. I, and that's really an amazing <laughs> description that like you your your body still wants to go and and it's it's also holding you back at the same time. Right. Um so it sounds like you went through this transition period um and you were in and out of the healthcare system and you saw the good parts and the bad parts of the system. Um and you somehow nailed down nursing because of that holistic and whole person um, approach, aspect yeah. of care and approach. And I think what I want to ask you now is what your training to become an RN was like. Uh, 
it was an uphill battle uh literally every single day but like before we even get there like just getting to nursing right like i made the decision i'm going to be a nurse i'm gonna go take this entrance uh exam score high it still took me a year to actually apply to the nursing program after i actually took my pre-lnn and i don't know if that was like a subconscious uh hesitation because i've never seen a nurse in a wheelchair before or like if i were nervous that i you know wouldn't be able to do it Hmm. but you know, maybe that was just a subconscious thing, or maybe I'm just a really bad procrastinator and <laughs> let the deadlines like pass. And I was just like, okay, I'll wait for the next one. Did you like have, did you have to do prerequisites and all that stuff as well? And then take this entrance exam? So because I have a biology degree, all of the prerequisites were already in alignment with nurse, with a nursing program. So I didn't have to like worry about extra classes. That's good. Uh, I just needed to apply. <laughs> and take the pre-LNN, right? So I took the pre-LNN and just didn't apply. It took me a year to actually apply to school, uh, to the program. Do you and feel like maybe, like, you were like, can I do this? Like, maybe you had a little bit of imposter syndrome, which we've talked about on this show before. Like, like am, am I able to do this? Am I good enough? Am I whatever? I think all of us feel that way every once in a while. Did you have any of that? Oh, of course. I have it all the time because as a person with a disability, we're already supposed to be eating bonbons at home and not be seen in public. Oh right? my God. <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard that before. Really? But, Look, well, I'm telling you, this is the way it's seen or this is the way it's perceived by our community, especially by people who like come up to us and be like, oh, it's so great to see you out. Like tap on the back. Oh my God. You know, these are things that, you know, you don't see yourself. You don't see representation. It's not like you're going to the mall and seeing people uh, in the storefronts or working or doctors that look like you or nurses that look like you in chairs, you know? So if you're not seeing it, that representation is not there. So maybe that just hinders on the subconscious to think that, you know, I don't belong here. Yeah. So you were like, I'm going to make myself belong. I'm going to, I'm going to you somehow overcame that because clearly that. Yeah. I applied. Like, I'm a nurse. <laughs> I applied and I got accepted and showed up first day of orientation. And in that moment, I had the professors come up to me and say, can we speak to you outside? And I'm like, sure. And it goes into the, we don't know if you can be a nurse. We have to look into this. <gasps> um, you don't have oh to stay God. for this mandated orientation. Uh, we'll let you know. I'm like, well, it's mandated orientation. So if I'm not here for this, then you can tell me that I'm not going to be registered this semester. And were you also like, this is discrimination, bitch. You know what? I wish I did, but no. (laughs) I actually, I mean, it is. It is. But I did know that the ADA was on my side. And I did say like, you know, I'll wait until you guys figure it out. But the ADA covers me for education, at least. And you've already accepted me. So you can't unaccept me. (laughs) Can you just for our listeners who are maybe not as woke, can you explain what the ADA is? Yes. So especially with the fact that we're coming up on our 30th anniversary of the ADA, it is the Americans with Disabilities Act. It is the law that says that you cannot discriminate against a person with a disability, that there must be accommodations provided, whether in the education or workforce uh, sector. And what those accommodations look like 
It can be anywhere from making sure that there's a desk that's accessible for someone to be able to roll up to at a school or being able to provide reasonable accommodations to access. It all depends on what the person's disability is and how that disability is going to play out with whatever they're doing. Okay. So you have, you know that you're protected by this, but clearly people still like passive aggressively skirt around it or blatantly discriminate and think that that's okay. (laughs) Like in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So what did you do when they pulled you out in the hallway? What happened? Uh, and they dismissed me. I was like, no, no worries. I will stay for this mandated orientation, which I did. I stayed. And then I went straight to my diversity and compliance office on my college campus. Thankfully, they have one. So I went and spoke to the compliance officer and let her know what was stated to me and that I was already accepted in the program and I will not be allow for them to dismiss me from it because of it. Um, and then awesome. I left it on their hands. And awesome. I went through the program. Uh, I think it was really just having an open conversation with them also to let them know that, you know, I can communicate my needs and I can communicate what I can and can't do. And how about we take this journey together? Because obviously it's new for you and it's new for me. Yeah. And they had to be willing to do that. I'm glad that they opened their minds. (laughs) A little bit. <laughs> um, and how did the other students treat you? Was there any issues there? Oh, no issues at all. You know what? I think it really was my class that got me through nursing. Like, we all have our cohorts, right? But our cohort was really, really, like, they were each other's cheerleaders. We were everyone's yeah. cheerleaders. Like, we really had each other's back. And my little group, like, my study group especially, when something you know, might have come up, they were the ones helping me kind of think about a bigger picture or think about an adaptive way to do something without even having to ask them. That is awesome. That is so awesome. Okay, well, so it sounds like school, once you got going, things really fell into place for you. And I think the NCLEX, which is the board that all nurses take in the United States, um, it's a national exam. I think the NCLEX is a super shitty test and it's, I thought it was so hard and I, I think it's hard for anybody, but what was it like for you? That was the worst test of my entire life. Of, of your entire life, right? <laughs> my like entire life. I took, I took NP boards and I still think NCLEX was harder. Like oh, man. NCLEX, I, I took a break to cry in the bathroom. So like I'm there <laughs> with you, like solidarity Oh, man, I still remember the day the test shut, like it shuts off. And I'm sitting in front of the screen crying like I just failed that like I I had to have just failed it. There was no way I passed that exam. I felt like I knew nothing. Okay, so you pretty much had a similar experience to every other nurse out there. I don't think anyone says it's easy. And there were things I didn't even recognize on that test. Oh, yeah. And then like I you had brain farts because of the fact that like, you don't remember every single disease process and then they throw the most random one at you. Yes. Yes. Ugh. Okay. Well, enough of that. Let's just like never do that again. Um, so with your most recent role working with directly with COVID patients in this crisis, um, can you talk about what a day in the life as a COVID nurse looks like, especially in New York, a hotspot? Uh, so I work night shift. So it was going in, getting like team report, 
checking in on these patients and then hoping and praying to God that they made it through the night. Right. We always say keep them alive until 745. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like that is not to be for the listeners. That's not to be like mean or cruel. Nursing has like a strange sense of humor because we see so many hard things yes. and because we just have to make it through. So it, it isn't like us joking about you dying. It's just no, in general saying like got to got to survive until 745 or like when we code people we sing staying alive. We when we're doing yeah. we're doing CPR, we're doing the chest compressions to the beat of staying alive. And so yep. And um the disco song if if people don't know what I'm talking about, the <laughs> disco song called staying alive. Um yeah. so that's it's not to be facetious but it, nursing has a strange sense of humor very strange but <laughs> i mean we're honestly going in and praying to god to make sure like these individuals who could be our mothers fathers sisters brothers cousins uncles like that we're literally giving our all for them to stay alive please and covid is just one of those things that we don't know so that uncertainty, that that every gasp of air, that every movement we're watching, like, please, is everything okay? We're looking at the monitors, like, nonstop, you know, the constant care that is needed, and not just to that individual, but also to the families calling, right? We'll be up to our necks in, in patients and patient care and need. And we still have, I have, for me, it was taking that three minutes to talk to a mom or talk to a wife or a husband about their significant other. Right. And so you know, just... how many patients would you care for on a single night shift? So I can tell you one night I had 13 patients. <gasps> that is <laughs> yeah. so like, and for everyone listening, um, what, what unit was, what type of unit was this? This like a, was a med surge. Or... It was a med surge unit. Okay. Yes. So for, for the folks listening, a typical night shift nurse on a med surge unit might have four to six patients, maybe a little, like depending on admissions and discharges, there might be, you know, two that discharge home in the evening and two that come in, in the e ER overnight. Um, so there might be some fluctuations, but it sounds like Andrea had double the normal caseload. That's my jaws on the floor. Yeah, that was COVID. You know, COVID, we were we had so many patients. You know, we don't have a choice. Right. You know, you, so you ran all... out of beds, you ran out of nurses. Yeah. Yeah, Tell me about supplies. Like, I, I think people were donating supplies and there was a huge supply shortage. Um, yeah. I mean, well, think about like, think about the amount of people it takes to run a hospital. And now you have an influx of patients. So even with the donations, it was like, OK, we get a donation today. We might not have enough for tomorrow. Oh, wow. Right. I so at one point, I don't want to imagine that. Yeah, at the very peak, you know, we were reusing our N95s. We were bagging off and making sure that things were trying to stay as sterile as possible. You know, so speaking of PPE or personal protective equipment for the listeners, um, one of my Patreons had a question for you about PPE. And uh, she wanted to know, is there anything different that you need to do 
for PPE to protect yourself because your wheelchair is going with you in and out of rooms. So the same gown covers over my wheel. Like patients don't interact with my wheelchair. They interact with me. Very good way to say that. Yeah. Right. So my chair is not in contact with the patient. However, we were all worried about like droplet and airborne. So remember, my gown is not going behind me to tie. It's going behind the back of my wheelchair to tie. So that's covered. And then I'm sitting. I'm not I'm not like vertical. So my gown will then drape over my wheels. Right. Okay. So I would triple glove just to be able to roll over to the patient, you know, de-glove one, take care of the patient, de-glove, roll to the sink, de-glove and wash my hands. Wow. Okay. So you kind of had a system worked out. Yeah. But you were able to use the same equipment. And so I think that that answers that Patreon question. And I think people just wheelchairs have come a long way too. as a as a provider myself I order equipment like that and there are some fancy chairs out there so I'm sure I mean I'm sure you can attest to more of what you use but I I think that's why there was a question because some are just huge chairs and how would you cover them to get you know to make sure you're not bringing anything back out when you leave the room So let's think about it. And just touching on that really quickly, wheelchairs that someone is a young person is using every single day outside of motorized wheelchairs, they're rigid. They're called rigid frame chairs and they're extremely small and they're made to fit the person's body. So they're not the regular wheelchairs that you're seeing in a hospital. You know, they're not the regular chairs that you're buying from Target or Walgreens. Like they're custom made frames for that person. And nine times out of 10, it's made so that you're seeing the person, not the wheelchair. That's awesome. Okay, that's a really good clarification. I didn't even know that that was like a thing. I've just seen so many different types. And really, my patients use motorized a lot. So they're like giant chairs. Um, So, okay. So that answers that question. Did you, I'm curious if you during this COVID crisis and during your practice, um, how that affected your mental health and your ability, like how was the coping through all of that? Cause I've heard some crazy stories coming out of New York. Yeah. So I can tell you like one night in particular, we had a patient who was the same age as my mom, uh, born in the same country as my mom. <laughs> And I'm her nurse that night. And I can tell you, she, you know, like when you just had that feeling like something's just not right. Yeah, that intuition. Yeah, it was not right. I was like all night I was in that patient's room, just something's not right. And, you know, she ultimately didn't make it. And I was on shift when she had passed away. And I think that's when it hit me the hardest. Like I was able to deal with everything else before that, but because yeah. this mom, this mom, she was a mom. She had three three yeah. kids, um, you know, resembled my own mom, right? Same age, same countries. She looked like my mom, though her her demeanor was almost the same. And having her for like consecutive nights because you know we do uh, continuous care. 
Yeah. Primary um, nursing. Sure. Nursing. Yeah. So, you know, that hit me. I got home that morning and saw my mom and I literally broke. I think it was in that moment that I was just like, this is, it, it was real all along. But in that moment, just thinking about the fact that I can lose my mom to COVID Aww. is where it hit me because that patient touched me in that way. And like, I have a dog. So I had lots of pet therapy for that week. my dog couldn't uh love me anymore but like she loved the fact that she had gotten belly rubs for that whole week consecutively (laughs) but yeah like that that really brought it straight home for me and really was like goodness I think nursing is one of the hardest jobs out there. And really, for for a lot of the stories that are shared on Dose of Support, being in healthcare just in general is really hard. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, what is your favorite part of being in healthcare, being a nurse? Being able to give back the care that I once received from all of the nurses that have touched my life. From the oh. nurses that saved my life when I was first diagnosed with TM to the nurses that were there when I came out of every surgery, even though I was retching in pain and wanted no one to touch me. And they were all there like, we are here. Um, to all the nurses that I went back to visit, like throughout all the good times. Right. So, yeah. you know, this is just like my homage. Like this is my payback. Yeah. Like They gave me so much. At least I get to give a patient the same amount of care and love that I had once received. I I have goosebumps right now. That's what every nurse wants to hear from someone that they cared for, you know, is that, that it meant something and that it was important. And it sounds like you got that and you're paying it forward now. Yeah. You know, patients just want it to be loved while they're away, especially now away from their families they want to they want to feel like they're empowered even though they're sitting in a hospital bed you know and my nurses did that for me they never they never put me in a bubble right so uh i try to do that for the patients that i come across now so what do you think is the hardest part of being a nurse or what is like your least favorite part of the job i don't like doing suck uh trach suctioning no no everyone's got their thing oh my gosh that's so funny that you say that I don't like that yeah like I actually don't mind that um but I know people like that's their thing and I actually don't like vomit I don't like the smell of vomit but everyone's got their thing that's funny that you just like bam you knew you knew right away that's not your jam it's not I do it it's fine but you see, the thing is, because I am low, I am, I'm in the seated position. Even if I get that bed really low, I'm still not above, like directly above the trach. So it's just one of those things that it's just like, oh, even if I'm You're always up, paranoid. Up, like, I'm like, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to get me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so funny. Cause like, like, I bet you people out there are nodding like, yes, that is the thing I hate too. Every like so many people hate that. Um, I think it's really, really important. We're talking about um, how your your situation affects if affects, you know, your 
your healthcare work, but I'm also curious as a as a black woman how you have interacted in healthcare and how your your race has affected you. You know, am I am I questioning that correctly or should I say yeah, that differently? I mean, no. You know, I'm black, yeah. I, I don't know per se which one for me stands out more, you know, for someone to really be blatant on me being black versus my disability being the thing that is seen I don't know. It's weird for me because I I feel like I have the three strikes or I've been told that I had the three strikes. I don't have the three strikes anymore. I've converted that. Uh, What do you mean by three strikes? So when I was in high school, uh, assistant principal had told me that I'm a woman, I'm black and I'm disabled. So therefore the three strikes, meaning that I wouldn't be able to accomplish a lot. Right. Those were the three things that were supposed to keep me low. Like, (laughs) <laughs> who says that to a kid like who's oh my god did that did that person keep their job they did oh they god did. damn it I never okay, reported well, it but it was something that you know stuck it with stuck me. with you yeah of course it would it would stick with anybody who who was told that they were less than I yeah ugh. so I think within having my own passion for what I wanted in life you know, I was mostly faced with accessibility issues. I was always faced with the, well, you can't do this because of your disability, not because I'm a woman or because I'm, you know, I'm black, but it was always really geared toward my disability or they got to use my disability to cover for anything else. So it was never blatant to me unless it was something that said uh, the way I spoke or the way I carried myself. Uh, But I don't, it never really was addressed in nursing. Like nursing was always more tailored to can she do it because of her disability, not because of my race or Interesting. My I just yeah. thought like, you know, with everything going on and coming to light in, in our society and the social, the social justice movement, I, I wanted to ask you if you had had the, had bad experiences as a black woman. Um, but it kind of sounds like being in a wheelchair, be, that being maybe more visible to people is really the, the thing that had more impact for you. In my eyes, yes, because if you really want to think about marginalism and how that affects someone, disability is the yeah. fastest growing m- minority in the world wow. and the most mar- marginalized, right? Wow. We're the ones with the, the highest unemployment, the highest uneducated, the highest amount of not being able to receive benefits or, you know, being able to be contributing members of society. So I had no idea. Thank you so much for like <laughs> just laying that out. Oh, yeah. Like it is it is a known fact that we are the largest and fastest growing minority in the world. Wow. So, you know, I honestly truly believe that it was the disability that kind of plays more of a disadvantage than anything else for me. Well, I'm going to let the listeners sit with that for a second. We're going to take a short break. And when we return, we'll have Andrea share a special story from her life or her practice. And then we'll talk about some self-care. Stay tuned.
Welcome back, listeners. We have Andrea Dalzell here with us. She is the nurse on wheels, and she has a special story to share with us. So, Andrea, take it away. So, while I was in nursing school, it's one of my favorite uh, stories to tell because it let me know that I was in the right place studying the right thing at the right time. Uh, I was in clinical, and a peer of mine came up to me. She was having a difficult time with a patient and asked me to come in and help. So, of course, I go and I help her out, and I'm rolling into the room, and the patient starts hysterically crying. And I'm talking those cries that you think something is wrong and you're doing your best to try to figure out, hey, can you talk to me? Can you take a deep breath? Hold my hand. What's wrong? <laughs> like really trying context, to. context, like what type of patient was it? Uh, we were in a rehab center and she had just had a stroke. So she just okay. came to the rehab center maybe about three days prior to have rehab. All right. Got it. Right. So we're there, you know, nurses and rehabs, we're making sure that a patient is ready to go down to therapy, giving medications, pain meds, just doing overall care. So I went in, student nurse, right? And I'm like, okay, can I take your blood pressure at least? Like, how about you just talk to me? And, you know, I love to build that type of rapport with a patient. So that's why my colleague thought like, hey, Andrea, you help, can you help here? And like I said, this woman is hysterically crying. And she looks at me and she says, I thought my life was over. Now, in that moment, it didn't click for me because I'm there talking to her and trying to help her. So for me, it's saying to her, no, you're alive. You're breathing. You're awake. Come on, let's get up and let's go to therapy. Like, And she looks at me and she's like, I really thought that my new diagnosis meant that I was going to be done with. And I looked at her again. And I'm like, well, the only way you're done is if you don't get up and go to therapy. And I kid <laughs> you not, she was up and ready for therapy in 30 minutes. We got vitals on her, got her meds done. Like, and when I went back in to like close out and I just was saying bye, she looks at me. She says, thank you. You gave me my life back. And I didn't register it at that moment, but in going home, driving home, I realized what she meant by saying, you know, she saw someone else with a disability. She saw someone else rolling into her room and caring for her in her most vulnerable state while she's thinking that life is over because a stroke leaves you, you know, without use of limbs. She was now uh, hemiplegic on the left side. And she didn't have use of like a leg and an arm and doing things that she was normally used to doing. And here I am, I don't have two use my legs. I don't have the use of both my legs and I'm rolling in taking care of her and it clicked for her that life goes on. Life doesn't have to be stuck in this moment. And that's when I knew I was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> that's an amazing feeling that what you're doing really matters. And another Patreon question that I got about about you, my Patreons know who I'm interviewing ahead of time. And a question I got is, where do you find your strength? Where do I find my strength? You know, yeah. 
my strength really comes off of a little girl that was told that she would never walk again. It was the little girl that rebelled uh, when she was told that she was going to be just a woman who's black and with a disability not going anywhere in life. It builds off the fact that I was dismissed from orientation and still fought through it. Um, It's built off the fact that I don't ever want a little boy or girl or, you know, anyone to ever think that their passion is based on what someone else determines for them. Wow. Right. I have goosebumps again. (laughs) Good job. Um, That is... That's like some inner strength that you must have because I don't, I mean, maybe it's because you've been tested so much that you have been able to tap into that. Um, but some people, when they see things that are difficult or they go through things that are difficult, it it really limits their ability to act and to move forward. And it sounds like you were able to move through that and harness what you felt when you were told that you would be held back I mean yeah and the fact that I just I don't know if it was an inner strength so much I definitely have a support system behind me and don't think it didn't come without all the tears and all the wanting to give up of course I wanted to give up of course I cried my eyes out some nights you know life is not easy we don't take it with like you know the grain of salt and just keep moving you yeah things impact us and Things impact us in a way that can potentially make us give up on the passions that we have. Uh, For me, I just, I haven't hit that mark yet. I hope that I don't. But I also hope that my story and my journey can really help someone else out of that moment of darkness that they're feeling like they want to give up, right? Or if they're feeling like they can't obtain the dream that they have for themselves because someone else is telling them that they can't do it. And because they don't see someone else that looks like them, then they automatically think that they can't do it. You know, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. If that's how we live, then then what's life worth living? Right. You have to have some type of hope. That's this is why you're like a, a professional speaker, pretty much. Right. Because like you just have this amazing delivery of a message that motivates people and makes people feel like they can do it, too. Um, and it's it's how you say it and they and it's it's the leadership that you show by example and so awesome awesome on you I I also want to know besides your puppy what self-care do you practice to take care of just you uh calling up my friends at like two o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep because my mind is like going all over the place Or if no one's answering their phone, I am doing aromatherapy. I am big on aromatherapy for de-stressing. Okay. Okay. Um, My mentor and preceptor uh, from New Nurse Academy is trying very hard to get me to journal or bullet journal or just write things out. That never really works for me. So, (laughs) (laughs) and she's probably going to laugh when she hears this. Like, yeah, no, that's not working. Honestly, it's like just being outside. I know right now with COVID, everyone's inside and tucked away. But like if you can find a moment to like get to a pier, look at some water, sit on the edge Mm -hmm. of a beach, you know, or even just take a walk around the neighborhood and just be in the moment. Look at the trees, look at the look at the sky, look at like people walking around, 
you know, just be in the moment and stop thinking about everything else. That's also self-care because you're detaching from materialistic things and just being one with nature again. And nature doesn't have to be grass and trees. I live in New York City, so I see buildings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So but you just... can smell the air and and people watch. Sure. Oh, well, Andrea, it has been such a treat. It's It's really been an honor to interview you and to get your message out there. And that's what Dose of Support is all about, is highlighting people who need to be heard and who aren't heard in healthcare. And I think nurses are often misrepresented, but certainly people with differing abilities who present differently are also misrepresented, if they're even represented at all. Um, and so I thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And thanks, you know, to everyone listening. I appreciate you guys giving me this platform to be able to share my story and, you know, hopefully touch someone else into getting into nursing. <laughs> I hope so. So if anyone wants to connect with Andrea, you can find her on Instagram as the seated nurse. Do you have any other platforms that you want to share, Andrea? Uh, I don't have, I don't really use anything else. So I am definitely on Instagram as the seated nurse. And if you really can't find me, I'm pretty sure you can type in nurse that uses a wheelchair in Google and <laughs> I'll be the first name that comes up. <laughs> well, folks, if you're listening out there and you want to hear more from me or Andrea, you can always email me at hello at doseofsupport.com. You can find us on our website, doseofsupport.com. You can find me on Instagram at doseofsupport or in our, our private Facebook group. If you want to ask questions to future guests or get involved more with show planning, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash dose of support and as always rate the show write a review help us get out there so that this message like like andrea's message so that it gets out there to people and thanks andrea again and we'll see you guys next week stories matter and now we've captured another one we'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a whole different story until then make connections and give each other a dose of support Dose of Support is written, produced, edited, everything by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by Rafael Sequeira. Don't forget to rate the show or leave feedback wherever you listen. I'm punching out until next week, where we try to find some self-care in healthcare once again. Music